answer to politics. This is the Michael Medved Show. And another great day in this greatest nation on God's green earth, a great nation that is on the verge of getting serious about an election that's coming up in November. Today is primary day. It is a primary day, moment of decision for prominent Republicans like Liz Cheney and Lisa Murkowski and Sarah Palin, all on the ballot today with primaries in Alaska and in Wyoming. Uh, will this be the end of a political career entirely for some of the losers? And there will be some losers. Liz Cheney is almost universally predicted uh, to lose in her primary election in Wyoming. We will get to that and to the very unusual development that there are a number of columns, all of which are suggesting that Liz Cheney is going to... Uh, not give up her political career, but actually run for president. On the strength of what? We will get to that on the Michael Medved Show. We'll also be talking about the Salman Rushdie case. And the fact is he is recovering. He is off a ventilator. He may lose, will probably lose, in fact, an eye and will lose some I, apparently use of his arms because of severed nerves and other things from his stabbing. It is now reported he was stabbed 10 times. The government of Iran has finally spoken out on who is to blame for this killing, not killing this attempted murder. Thank God Salman Rushdie is alive. We will tell you who they have fingered as responsible for this horror. We will also uh, be speaking to Matt Bai about a, a truly important column that he just wrote, which is called uh, The Attack on Salman Rushdie is a Warning About Where We're Headed. And he means here in the United States and not based upon uh, Americans, native-born Americans, as the intended killer was, the assailant in that Rushdie case. He was born here in the U.S., New Jersey, if you consider that the U.S. And... Uh, uh, he's talking about people not motivated by radical Islam, but motivated by other radical ideas that give them the right to use uh, violence for religious and political purposes. We will get to Matt by uh, a little bit later. And there's also a case where, uh, amazingly, in a very conservative part of the country, overwhelmingly Republican part of the country... The, a local school board has banned the Pledge of Allegiance. They uh, are not going to say it anymore at school board meetings. Why? Because it's not inclusive, it's discriminatory, and it is untrue. Okay, war on the Pledge of Allegiance in North Dakota? Really? Is that where we are? And then we'll also talk about uh, the impact of all of these primaries and all of the feuds and the back and the forth with uh, various law cases involving President Trump and charges against him and charges back from him against his persecutors or uh, opponents at least. And what that's likely to mean for the election coming up and more importantly to the election of 2024. Uh, on the Michael Medved show, 
First up, the question of uh, Liz Cheney, because she is going to be the big story today if, as expected, uh, she loses badly. According to 538, that is that, uh, that uh, organization run by Nate Silver that does political analysis and projections. And by the way, they were pretty good in terms of their projections in 2020. Because unlike a lot of other places, they said, no, there was a chance that Trump could win. And uh, what they're saying is that concerning Liz Cheney, almost no chance that she can win. They uh, say now without any serious opposition in the pro-Trump lane, Harriet Hageman, who is the candidate endorsed by President Trump, has zoomed into the lead according to surveys. The most recent independent poll conducted for the Casper Star Tribune by Mason Dixon Polling and Strategy put Hageman at 52% and Cheney at 30%. So a little bit closer than other polling that has shown Hageman winning by 30 points. Here she's winning by 22. While polls of house races are subject to a fair bit of error, and polls of primaries even more so, it would require a monumental polling error for Cheney to pull this one out. Even Cheney herself appears to realize it. She recently released a defiant TV ad featuring her father excoriating Trump, uh, pretty much the opposite of an effective message in this heavily pro-Trump state. How heavily pro-Trump is it? Uh, Last time Trump was on the ballot in Wyoming was for the election in November of 2020, and uh, Trump got 70%. 70%. By the way, Liz Cheney was on the ballot too, same election, uh, getting reelected as a conservative leading Republican member of Congress. She got 69%. Yeah, she did. She won her primary that year with 73%. So she has a history of popularity in Wyoming. And right now she has way, way exceeded uh, anything for Harriet Hageman in terms of the money she's raised. She's raised $15.5 million as opposed to Hageman's less than $5 million, so three times more. If this uh, election goes the way it's expected to, it will be one more indication that money cannot buy you everything in terms of political success. The uh, What uh, they're talking about here is even Cheney herself appears to realize it, that she is doomed. Uh, no Democrat filed to run for this congressional seat, and it's the only congressional seat in the uh, in the state of Wyoming. It only gets one member of the House. So whoever wins the GOP primary is guaranteed to win in November and oversee the 2024 uh, presidential election in the state. Because Wyoming has no lieutenant governor, the uh, secretary of state is also uh, the uh, first in line for governorship should it become vacant. They're talking now not about Liz Cheney's uh, run for Congress, but for a secretary of state race, which is still... Uh, up up for grabs in the state of Wyoming. So what about this idea that Liz Cheney, who's about to lose, according to everybody and every analysis, her primary badly, first of all, is there any chance that people are wrong, 
that this could be one of the great political upsets ever? Well, there is, because there are literally thousands of people, they estimate about 6,000 so far, who have changed their registration from uh, for this election from Democrat to Republican so they can vote for Liz Cheney in the primary. And this is not because Liz Cheney is some kind of big liberal. For instance, she was... Um, uh, for uh, the National Abortion Rights Action League, NARAL, they gave her a, a lifetime rating of a big, fat zero. Her uh, rating, Liz Cheney, for uh, American Conservative Union, ACU, 76% lifetime rating. She's one of the more conservative members of Congress. 74% lifetime rating for Heritage Foundation. And in fact... Her rating uh, from conservative groups in terms of her conservatism is much higher than Harriet Hageman's. But uh, that doesn't stop uh, a, a basic uh, attack on Liz Cheney, accusing her of Soviet-like activity. What is that about? We will get to that and more. And Matt By warning of the same kind of violence that... Uh, almost killed Salman Rushdie making its way to the United States. We'll deal with that and more on the Medved Show. Medved show. Uh, before going into that last break, I made a mention of uh, Matt By and his uh, article taking a look at what it would mean if uh, the kind of violence that we saw against Salman Rushdie made its way to the United States. Well, that was a stupid thing for me to say because it did make its way to the United States. This occurred not in Beirut. This occurred in uh, Erie County, New York. And uh, I believe it's Erie County. I'm not sure. But it's uh, where uh, the Chautauqua Institute is. Uh, a beautiful place, wonderful place. And and the, the would-be assassin was a native-born American. What Matt By is talking about and what I think we need to talk about is basically America drifting... Uh, and not really drifting, it's lurching, because it's not a drift, it's a lurch, it's a leap toward this political violence where the assumption is somebody you disagree with, somebody that uh, does not take your same point of view, is deserving not only of scorn, is deserving not only of defeat, but deserving of death. Uh, there's a, a fellow in Pennsylvania who was just arrested. We will cover it. And he was arrested because he was actually calling for the killing of FBI agents. I mean, very directly. Is that where we are right now? And uh, talking about the kind of race that Liz Cheney, who, again, lifetime conservative, uh, solidly pro-life, solidly pro-Second Amendment, uh, solidly pro strong American defense. I mean, after all, her father was a great secretary of defense 
who really did help in building up the American military, Dick Cheney. Yeah, he was Secretary of Defense under President George Herbert Walker Bush. He was also a, a terrific White House Chief of Staff under Gerald Ford. So we're not talking about somebody here who is a country club, so-called Republican. I don't even know if they have country clubs in Wyoming. Uh, but this is the... Um, Latest fundraising appeal written by Harriet Hageman, who was heavily favored to win this race today out in Wyoming as their only representative in the House of Representatives. Uh, she addresses the letter, uh, fellow patriot, in my home state of Wyoming, loyalty and freedom still mean something. So why is Republican Liz Cheney playing on Nancy Pelosi's team? Not only did she vote to impeach President Trump, praise Dr. Fauci, and slander Americans like you as a danger to our democracy. Okay, what she's assuming here is that uh, the only people she she's writing to are people who would either participate or support things like the riots on January 6th. Really? Is it so outrageous to say that that represents a danger to our democracy when there are people who are trying to use violence to stop the ongoing election process that is following the Constitution of the United States? Cheney has taken a leading role on Pelosi's Soviet-style January 6th. What is Soviet-style about January 6th? They, they are not even preparing indictments. That's not their job. They're trying to provide information to the Justice Department with the possibility that they might provide in, indictments. Uh, there already are 800 people who've been charged with crimes, and most of them crimes of violence. For goodness sake, she says, this kind of betrayal cannot continue, which is why I hope you'll support my America First primary challenge against Liz Cheney with a $35 or more campaign contribution. And uh, signed Harriet Hageman, America First Conservative for Congress, Wyoming. P.S. Remember, Democrat mega-donors are shelling out tens of thousands for Liz Cheney. But while she has the support of Democrats and establishment career politicians like Mitt Romney, uh, she doesn't speak for you and me. Uh, the idea, again, that Mitt Romney is somehow uh, an evildoer, a symbol of, of betrayal and horror, is, is, makes me very sad because Mitt Romney is one of the more honorable people in American politics. He has been. I think he would have made a great president, and he should have won in 2012 if it weren't for uh, a hurricane. And uh, if you'll recall the way that that race went. And, and then there was the Candy Crowley thing in the third debate. In any event, Mitt Romney is still in the Senate. He's not on the ballot this time. He will be uh, two years from now in 2024 running for re-election as the senator from Utah. In, in terms of what would a Liz Cheney run for president look like, the idea that people are even talking about this seems to me a bit bizarre. Um, the, uh, uh, it's, it's a piece by John Ward, but before we get to that, we're not quite done with this campaign yet. Liz Cheney had a closing statement, which was a two minute ad 
about how wrong it is to question election results with no basis. And she says that this is the kind of rhetoric that can destroy free nations. Listen, clip 12. As election day nears, I want to talk to citizens across our great state and all abandon the truth. The lie that the 2020 presidential election was stolen is insidious. It preys on those who love their country. It is a door Donald Trump opened to manipulate Americans to abandon their principles, to sacrifice their freedom, to justify violence, to ignore the rulings of our courts and the rule of law. This is Donald Trump's legacy, but it cannot be the future of our nation. History has shown us over and over again how these types of poisonous lies destroy free nations. Like many candidates across this country, my opponents in Wyoming have said that the 2020 election was rigged and stolen. No one who understands our nation's laws, no one with an honest, honorable, genuine commitment to our Constitution would say that. It is a cancer that threatens our great republic. If we do not condemn these lies, if we do not hold those responsible to account, we will be excusing this conduct, and it will become a feature of all elections. America will never be the same. And uh, when you talk about America never being the same, right now there is trouble, there is turbulence, there is a serious threat of violence because of a disputed election in Kenya. Uh, William Ruto, the vice president, has won apparently a clear victory according to the election, but he's running against a guy named Riley Odinga, who is running for the fifth time for president. He's lost one, two, three, four, five in a row, and each one he claims it was a rigged election. I mean, really, do we want that for our country? Uh, how so? What do you do with it, and and what do you do to prevent us from getting more of the extremism that has done such terrible damage to countries like Iran? Uh, Matt Bai has written an important column on that regard. We'll get to that coming up next on the Medved Show. And on the Michael Medved Show, a pleasure to welcome to this program Matt Bai, who is a contributing columnist to the Washington Post. He's a journalist, author, and screenwriter. He spent more than a decade at the New York Times, where he was the chief political writer for the Sunday Magazine and a columnist for the newspaper, and then five years as national political columnist for Yahoo News. His uh, newsletter, Bai Lines, that's B-A-I Lines, can be found at mattbybulletin.com. I thought your new piece, Matt, was fantastic and very important. I'm very eager to do it because to talk about is how the attack on Salman Rushdie is a warning about where we're headed. And what you mean is not necessarily other Islamic fanatic attacks, but a greater willingness in our country to justify violence for political causes, and uh, that goes along with uh, a less robust defense of free speech. What what exactly is the immediate threat here? Well, thank you for having me, Michael, and you put it so well. I, I think you just about did it better 
in a couple of lines <laughs> than I did in the column, but that's that's about it. I mean, I mean, you know, it's a it's not an immediate threat in the sense that I think this threat's been building for years, and I've been writing about it, and it just struck me. Um, you know, obviously, what happened to Rushdie last week being just horrid and heartbreaking. Uh, I happen to deeply admire him as a writer, and I've admired his courage um, from the time that, that he published that book in, in the late 1988. And um, you know, the, the, it, it struck me that um, we are we, the, there's such a difference between the society now and where we were at the time he published that book. That you know, there was pretty widespread agreement. Uh, certainly among the political class at that time that, you know, as, as you point out, that, that A, uh, violence was never an acceptable recourse to disagreement, to philosophical disagreement, religious, political, uh, and, and that the freedom of expression, whether one agreed with that expression or not, whether we argued about what was appropriate or what wasn't, was a bedrock ideal in the American Republic. And yeah, you, you those, have a... I'm sorry, uh, and both of those are under threat. And again, that's yeah. brought home one of my favorite sentences in an outstanding piece, which we've uh, linked at our website at michaelmedved.com so people can read it themselves. But you say this, you say, but ask yourself this. If Rushdie had written his book in 2022 instead of 1988, and if the blasphemy had resolved, revolved not around Islam but around, say, the left's notion of gender fluidity, how many leading Democrats would be standing up to champion his artistic freedom? And uh, that, that goes for even leading Republicans who aren't willing to, uh, to champion uh, artistic or freedom of expression if you dare to say that the election of 2020 was not rigged. Yeah, I mean, as I say in the piece, we have our own American Ayatollahs now, you know, and you, and you say, you know, when we didn't at that time, and, and, and this is the kind of violence it, it invites, and this is what we're going to have. And, and, you know, you write this, and the folks on the left, my friends on the left, and most of my friends, you know, in Washington, they, you know, they get really angry and they talk about false equivalence. You've probably heard this. You know, they say, why are you talking about what the left's doing wrong as if, as if policing language and thoughts was as bad as, uh, inviting violence and and undermining the democracy and and you know that's not what I'm it, there's not there's not always an equivalency the point I'm making is I think what what Republicans the tr Trumpist Republican Party is is doing in America right now is leading us off a cliff of violence and disorder and you cannot head that off by being a party or a philosophical movement that that denies the right to free speech and wants to police the words that everybody uses and shout down anyone who disagrees with you. The only effective answer to authoritarianism is a bedrock commitment to free expression, even when it's uncomfortable. And this is the thing I keep trying to say to my friends on the left. I'm certainly not alone, but it's a very difficult moment to take that stand. Okay, how how do you think uh, people there's it's not a small number of people i actually believe that if you scratch the surface it's an american majority who d despise and reject the idea of uh trying to use politics to justify violence in the streets whether it's blm violence or antifa violence or the violence of the uh trumpers who uh created uh, january 6th and it's a majority who rejects that how do you mobilize that majority to get anything done? 
Well, I, I agree with you, and that's an excellent question. It is a majority, and we talk you know, for years the cliche since the Nixon era, you know, when I was born, has been the silent majority. We do we don't have a silent majority, but we certainly have a dissatisfied and marginalized majority in this country. And I don't believe a political system that excludes that many people who still live in the broad center of the electorate can can hold. I think there has to be an upending of it. It's funny, I wrote I'm writing a piece for my newsletter today about Liz Cheney, in which, you know, I've talked about this before, that I, I think she she wins by losing today in Wyoming, assuming she does, because she doesn't why should she want to go back to the house and be an outcast in a party that's gone off the rails? She's actually a powerful force right now in American politics and someone who can bridge that divide and live in the center of the electorate and stand for something large and meaningful about the restoration of the republic can upend our political system and our political math pretty quickly. And so I'm not I sound pessimistic when I talk about violence and free expression because I worry very much about the country we're going to leave my kids. But I, I do believe that there's the potential for an uprising that is not destructive and that, in fact, mobilizes the part of the electorate you're talking about. And uh, do you see, I mean, other than Liz Cheney, who, by the way, it's, it's, it is fascinating. There are all kinds of speculations that are going around right now about what she does next and what she runs for and whether she would run for president as a Republican or as an independent or even as a Democrat. We'll, we'll get to that. But uh, in, in terms of mobilizing people, what would be the crucial issue or would it be simply just reaffirming a uh, free speech and a uh, rule of law in our political system you know honestly michael i think the crucial issue is a person uh we we are we are politics increasingly dominated by personality not by parties not by policies um and I, and i think a you know, a compelling personality, need, as we know from the history of sort of independent political uprisings, needs to have a, a very easy-to-articulate central issue. Uh, and I certainly think the restoration of the, of the country to rule of law is such an issue, and I don't take Liz Cheney lightly. Uh, but, but I think ultimately what we've been lacking is the, is the benign celebrity, right? somebody who's recognizable and compelling and can raise money, uh, but who's but who's who who has some nobility and and intellectual sophistication as well, uh, the sort of the, the 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 better parts of Trumpism without without all the rest of it. And so, um, is that you know someone like Cheney? I think she certainly could qualify. Actually, I think it's kind of intriguing. But I think what we're what we've been waiting for is 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 a personality that that people can really rally around uh, who believes in something larger than. Uh, just just installing themselves or installing their party. And I, I do feel like that's kind of inevitable. And uh, maybe that personality will be somebody who doesn't have a dozen lawsuits pending at, at all times, which, honest to goodness, I believe that there is going to be extreme weariness on that issue and that aspect of Trumpism even from some people who uh, may be very loyal to an America first philosophy and to MAGA world. Matt By, a great piece about the deeper message from the Salman Rushdie attack. Uh, we'll be back with Iran's reaction to that Salman Rushdie attack. They don't blame themselves or the Ayatollah.
And on the Michael Medved show, the savage attack on uh, author Salman Rushdie occurred last Friday, you may remember. We covered it on the air as it was happening. Thank God he appears to be on his way to some recovery, to survival. And finally, there is a word from the government of Iran which had provided... And by the way, this is still in effect. They've never taken away the reward. The uh, a, a subsequent leader of Iran said the fatwa is no longer there, but the reward of $3 million, actually $3.3 million for anybody who actually kills Rushdie, that still is in force. A spokesman for Iran's foreign ministry blamed the author, Salman Rushdie, himself yesterday for the violent assault that left him critically wounded, and he denied any Iranian role in the attack. Mr. Rushdie was stabbed roughly 10 times on Friday while speaking at the Chautauqua Institution in western New York. He suffered multiple injuries, including a damaged liver, and is expected to lose an eye. In the first official statement by Tehran since the attack, the spokesman uh, Nasser Kanani put the uh, blame solidly on Mr. Rushdie. According to the Iranian Students News Agency, Mr. Kanani said that Mr. Rushdie had crossed red lines and exposed himself to the anger and ire of the people. He said that Tehran had no information on the attacker beyond what was being reported in U.S. news media. In this case, we don't blame or condemn anyone except Salman Rushdie and his supporters. Mr. Kanani said. The uh, police arrested Hadi Matar, a 24-year-old New Jersey man, in the attack. Uh, there was a moving statement by Bill Maher, who, uh, uh, who knew, is apparently a close friend of Salman Rushdie. And uh, Maher called for open debate of a subject that is often considered explosive, but it's necessary. Uh, this is clip eight. Sal was in Chattaqua. He was giving a lecture, how about this for irony, about how the U.S. is a safe haven for exiled writers and other artists under threat of persecution. And making that speech itself is unthinkable in most Muslim countries. Salman Rushdie living in most Muslim countries without getting stabbed every day is unthinkable. So don't come at me with Islamophobic. Phobic means fear, right? Well, Sal had a good reason to be fearful. And when you say phobic, it's just a way to shut off debate. You know, the transphobic, Islamophobic, and we should have a debate about this. Sorry, but, you know, these things don't go away. Islam is still a much more fundamentalist religion than any of the other religions in the world. And that means they take what's in the holy book seriously. And that has been dangerous for a long time. It's still dangerous. This was 1989 when he was first threatened. You know, they say, we have a long memory. We got, just got Al-Iwan Al-Zawahiri. We were bragging about, well, we can't get away from... They have a long memory, too. Uh, they do, and especially when there's a reward uh, still at, at large. And this, by the way, is is one of the 
items about this entire incident that needs to be monitored very carefully because if there is any any evidence at all of somebody paying off, of course, they're not obliged to pay off at this point because Solomon Rushdie is still, thank God, alive. The The other aspect of what Bill Maher was just saying there, and he's obviously horrified as any thinking human being would be by what happened, but it's important not to give the crazies the idea that they are true representatives of Islam, that they take the, quote, holy book, the Quran, more seriously than the people who use the Quran as a guidebook for leading a, a peaceful and constructive life. And we here in the United States, if you look at some of the truly successful and beautiful Islamic communities that do exist in this country, uh, there is another view of the Quran, which is one that we should support and not simply say that, well, there is violence in the Quran and that the people who actually commit stabbings and bombings and killings, there there was a, a, another individual like that in Israel who in the middle of the night, really, it was like 5 a.m. in the morning, before 5 a.m., he started a shooting uh, at a bus. He shot eight people, including a pregnant woman who, thank God, survived, and the baby was delivered. Uh, but basically, just shooting people at random, as if that is a politically virtuous act. And one of the aspects that it seems to me is, is very, very necessary and needed in this country right now is not to even come close to this idea of internal warfare against neighbors, against civilians, not organized warfare in defense of your country against attack or anything of that nature. There was a statement uh, on the radio and it was by Charlie Kirk, who is the founder and leader of Turning Point USA. And uh, what he said is that the Democrats need to, quote, pay a price for their investigation and their search of Trump and Mar-a-Lago. He uh, said the following. He said, raids must be met with raids. State attorney generals that are Republican have to authorize raids against Soros groups, Black Lives Matter, Planned Parenthood, the alphabet media, groomers, the chemical castration of children now. And here's why. A hundred facilities should be raided by next week. Find them. You try to tell me there's not a hundred criminal organizations that are aiding and abetting people across the southern border? La Raza, we know them. They publicized it. I'm not saying you have to arrest them. Just raid them. Find out what you find. Why? That will all of a sudden make liberal groups and their internal chatters. Guys, you were so stupid. You raided Trump. Now they're coming after us. Good. Now you know there's a price for this. I mean, really? Really? He was speaking to um, an old friend of mine named Eric Metaxas who has taken positions that I find are unconscionable.
And Metaxas said, true leadership means doing things that some people will say, oh, you can't do that. A leader makes that calculation and says, I think I need to do this now, and history will judge me, God will judge me, Metaxas said. Do what is needed and let God judge you and let history judge you. We need those kinds of leaders now because we are in a war. We need a, a wartime consigliere. Uh, then he uh, said, both of us are Christians and we take our orders from Jesus. God gave us this nation. He gave us liberty and he gave us the obligation to keep the republic. We have an obligation. If you don't understand that there is a time to fight, there is a time to take dramatic action. And it is not only a violation of our Christian faith. On the contrary, it is a manifestation of our faith. That idea of raids must be met with raids. And if you don't like the uh, raid on the search of the Mar-a-Lago premises, then you take it in your own hands to do your own raids. And they don't even specify the idea that actually what happened in terms of uh, the Mar-a-Lago raid was warranted not in terms of, well, justified, but it was warranted. There was a warrant, a legal process that went through. Um, the, uh, this came in from John in Gig Harbor. He says, Michael, I feel uh, many, and maybe including you, are missing the point on 2020 presidential election. It was not done through actual votes and counting of votes. It was swayed through social media. The suppression of Hunter Biden would have changed as much as 15% of votes cast. Um, at, how do you know about Hunter Biden if it was so entirely suppressed or before the election? In fact, there's a great discussion about Hunter Biden during President Trump's first impeachment. And again, the, to complain about the media bias, perfectly fair. There is media bias. But to suggest that you don't count an election because the media gave coverage you don't like, doesn't add up on behalf of this greatest nation on God's green earth.